Welcome everyone to Ian Hates Conversations. My name is Ian and I'm very excited tonight because I have someone on the show I've been waiting for for quite some time. On this episode, I'm joined by Rich Weinberger of Gatherers. They just had their brand new album, We Are Alive Beyond Repair, come out recently through Equal Vision Records. If you listen to Ian Hates Music Weekly Show, you know how much I love that album. So, let's get to some great talk about it and a lot more. Let's begin with The Floorboards Are Breathing. Off We Are Alive Beyond Repair. Enjoy. everyone and welcome back. I am very excited because tonight I am here with Rich of Gatherers. Rich, we spoke a little bit, you know, right before this, but I do want to ask you again, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. I would say now you're in New Jersey. I'm in Boston right now. Are you dealing with the same heat wave 
that we're dealing with? I, I, you, <laughs> I had a feeling you were just going to ask me that. Yeah, it fucking sucks, dude. It's like 100 degrees. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I was just telling uh, my fiance today and I was driving around mm-hmm. running errands that I felt like my air conditioner in my car has been rendered entirely useless because it's just lukewarm air. Right. Like I, I'd imagine it's because of how hot it is outside. And yeah, I'm not looking forward to my electricity bill on account of the air conditioner. So yeah, it's pretty hot. So. Yeah, exactly. Now I know recently you were up here in Boston. You guys have been traveling around a lot. Like, are you doing traveling for touring in a van? Do you have to deal with the same exact stuff when you're traveling around? Yeah, I mean, we uh, so we tour in a van. Um, I'm not car literate, so I, I, you know, sorry if I'm misspeaking. We have like a Dodge, fifteen passenger, some type of van, oh. uh, like an old church van. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, what is it? Oh, we have a Chevy. There, I'm getting <laughs> correct there. We have a Chevy there. See, um, we have a Chevy, uh, like a '95, like fifteen passenger van. It used to be like some church van. Uh, it's the only band that gatherers has ever toured in. Wow. Uh, luckily we've never had the need to, to have a trailer. Uh, hopefully we never will. Right. Um, so it's always been the same situation. We just got our air conditioner fixed on the, the most recent tour that we were on. So, um, that's, that's been a godsend. We did a, we did a full U S with every time I die a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that whole tour, we didn't have an air conditioner. And I just remember like, the one part of the tour where we were driving through like the Coachella Valley area of California. And we were all like stripped to our underwear, all the windows open. <laughs> like we genuinely at that point, we had our, our, our former guitar players could Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at one point we were all genuinely concerned, like, Holy shit. Like this is going to have a heat stroke. We had to like pull over and like reassess everything. And, wow. Um, so it, we've, we've, we've definitely have been to like the most, uh, extreme versions of like dealing with like the heat and stuff, but uh, thankfully we were able to tour pretty pretty comfortably this time around. So oh good, yeah. yeah, that's not too bad. Now, and I know this sounds very cliche. So I'm from Texas. I mm-hmm. love heat, not humidity. So right now, that's what's really killing me. Because especially mm-hmm. with recording, you know, you turn the AC off because you want to be as professional as possible. But for you, you're living in New Jersey right now. Is there some place, you know, you've toured all over, is there some place that you would prefer to live? Is there some climate that you actually prefer? Um, I definitely agree with you on the humidity. Um, humidity sucks. It's been pretty humid here in Jersey. Yeah. I imagine it's humid in Massachusetts as well. Um, sure. I actually, so when I was, my, my mother's from uh, Indonesia, so oh. like I, I've lived there when I was like around four or five years old, and I've visited a couple times, and that's like way more of like, a way more humid type of climate and it's almost like rainforest dust like so it's like always super hot but very sticky yeah. i'm kind of already like acclimated to it oh, um, okay. but to answer the question i would say like i i i don't know like i was talked about living in like portland oregon like definitely somewhere coastal but like i think living in a state where like you can get to go through the the motions of like all the different seasons is important. Like okay. fall time and winter time in New Jersey is my favorite summer sucks. I can't, I can't deal with it. <laughs> all right. So yeah, yeah, you're definitely staying way more on that East coast or the higher West coast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. All right. Definitely. Texas is cool though. Like that we played Austin and Dallas on this last tour. Yeah. And like, I gotta say like we, we haven't been through Texas enough times. Uh, we have some friends out there and like, 
Dallas was like a real treat to, to just have some time to kill. You know, albeit it wasn't a lot of time, like it seemed like the cities that, that we hit in Texas, like we're all very, very like, um, very communal. And like, obviously like, you guys have a like, great scenes out there. Oh yeah. All, all very music and time. So, um, yeah, so Texas was cool, but yeah, I, I can see like, the heat out there. Um, Texas and Arizona was the worst. On ah, like that. yeah. I felt like we were on fucking Mars, dude. Like, it was so hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's weird because obviously Texas and even Arizona, they kind of get bad raps for, you know, politics and for some other things, you know, stuff that's going on in the news all the time. But when mm. you go to cities like Dallas, you go to San Antonio, to Austin, it's a completely different feeling. And that's where I gravitate towards. I mean, you mentioned Dallas. Have you been, or that little bit of time that you were there, did you go to the Deep Ellum area? That's where we played. Yeah. Um, shit, I don't remember the name of the venue. It was something at Deep Ellum, I believe. Um, it was like on this like strip where there was like yeah. venue after venue. There was so much going on, you know. Exactly. Like, uh, it was really cool. But yeah, yeah that we that that is the area where we got to play. And, you know, you guys have a lot of good food and stuff. And oh yeah, things going on. So yeah, it's true. And look, I mean, I know we're we're talking a lot about travel right now, but I I do enjoy doing this as well. So you live in New Jersey. My grandmother lived in Red Bank, New Jersey. No shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really I enjoy going down. Like I still you know enjoy going down to New Jersey when I have the ability to. I mean, one of the things for me, and this is very cliche, but the pizza in New Jersey. I fucking love. Yeah, of course. It's the best fucking pizza in the world. There you Sorry. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, yeah, we have good pizza. I, I you know, um, there's this, this good, you know, Chicago's got good pizza. Like, it's a whole different style of pizza. Right. Um, I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people, these, these topics like pizza and like, especially like food items can get very heated. Yeah. Like this a lot is very of people polarizing. want to champion the best. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to champion the best fucking donut in the country or the best fucking pizza in the country. So, right. um, but yeah, but that's definitely like the thing that I, I hear pretty frequently. Um, that's cool. Your grandma lives in, uh, she still lives in Red Bank. No, uh, recently passed away, unfortunately, but uh, for, okay, you know, okay. it happens, but in my, you know, my time, you know, traveling around and everything, being an air force brat, we got to visit plenty of times, and it's a place yeah. that I always enjoyed. Yeah, Red Bank's awesome. My uh, my partner and I used to live in Asbury Park, uh, which is maybe like fifteen twenty minutes from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we no we no longer live up live down there. Rather, we we moved up north to like Bayonne. Uh, yeah. So like we live by my guitar player Anthony and my drummer Adam. We all live like a few blocks from each other. But oh, cool. our other guitar player Rob still lives in that area uh, in like Bradley Beach, but like. Um, yeah, we, we frequent like Red Bank pretty often while I was living down there, and go to like the uh, uh, Secret Stash, like yeah. the, it's Kevin Smith like comic shop. And exactly. Stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's a cool little town. Very cool. Well, let's transfer this into music because even though I enjoy talking about that, I definitely have a lot of stuff that we got to get to music wise. So, cool. being in New Jersey right now, where you are, what's the local scene like? Do you get to travel into New York City? to go to shows are you even a show person in general um i feel like these days um i, I mean i've always like sort of been and kind of embarrassing like, i'm not proud to say like, i'm not a huge like show frequenter i guess sure. um the last show i went to was i just got to see thursday play full collapse in its entirety Very down cool. in asbury park they did like two sets of 
Uh, they did like full claps and were all the time. Yeah. Back to back. And That's I awesome. think they did four shows in total. Um, my fiance got to photograph it and like was able to get like uh, a pass because of her and like Tucker who plays drums in Thursday also plays drums in a band called Aegist with yeah. members of this band Primitive Weapons mm-hmm. uh, that we're friends with and they opened up the show. So that was pretty sick. Very cool. Um, sorry to go on a tangent. Um, oh no, absolutely. Before that I saw uh, we all collectively, uh, her, I, my guitar player, Anthony, uh, his wife, and we're friends with Billy Reimer from like uh, Dillinger. Oh, yeah. Uh, we all got to see Glashdawn Quicksand play at Brooklyn Steel. Very cool. Uh, again, with, with that band, Primitive Weapons, I just mentioned. Yeah. Those are the last two shows I got to see. But overall, uh, I don't go like quite often um, simply because it's like I'm the kind of person where like... <laughs> I fucking like love like Rob and I just saw like Radiohead uh, a month ago (laughs) in Philly and like they're my favorite band and we got to see them like really up close Mm -hmm. but I feel like we're all sort of hitting that age where it's like my back starts to hurt because (laughs) I'm standing for so long right so yeah uh, I I can probably hash up a ton of excuses I I should probably be going to shows way more often Um, but yeah luckily like we live up north so like getting into new york or like brooklyn to catch a show is super easy mm-hmm. um and going down to like asbury park where there are as of recently a lot of newer venues that are booking like all these fucking awesome like tour packages and all these huge bands that are coming in um you know house of independence uh is about a year or two old that's like a new venue down in nice. asbury uh asbury lanes uh just reopened up um and they just, right from the gate, like I said, they just had Thursday there. Phoebe Bridgers just played there. Cold War Kids is playing there. So there's a lot of good shit happening yeah. now, all sort of with like a really close radius of like where we all live. So that's pretty cool in that regard. So I, pro- I should probably take way more advantage of that. Well, it sounds like you're still doing a really good job. Now, as gatherers, do you guys get to do, you know, local venues there as well? Yeah, we used to. I mean, we're, we're pretty like... Especially like early earlier on in, in in the career of gatherers, I mean, uh, when I I'm not the original singer, so right. when I joined uh, at that time, uh, gather it wasn't always gatherers; it was just gatherer, like right. singular. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this was before we had signed to Equalusion. Uh, when I joined uh, with that original lineup, we were playing obviously like a lot more like basement shows. Like we played the Batcave in Montclair quite frequently, uh, uh, which was like a really cool DIY spot, which is no longer a thing. Uh, I see. Um, played a couple of like DIY like basement venues in, in New Brunswick. Uh, one was called like bomb shelter. Um, so yeah, I mean, we definitely play like, like locally. Um, nowadays, like we still play locally. We don't play, uh, as frequently as we'd like to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were actually just talking about the other day, like, Hey, it'd be really cool if we like play like a really banger, like basement show, you know, if, if the bill was like right and it made sense, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. So we've definitely played Jersey quite a bit. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of cool venues now. We haven't got to play. We got to play House of Independence with like Envy on the Coast last year, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. That's cool. Um, but I feel like we're just, we're in this like weird uh, sort of purgatory as a band where I, I feel like although we're from New Jersey, mm-hmm. I feel like more people outside of New Jersey know about us being a band Ah. compared to people in New Jersey. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, one thing that I've noticed unfortunately, I've only been able to catch you one time live and we're going to talk about that, but I was looking back, you know, I like to do my research 
And I was seeing the multiple times that you've played up here in Massachusetts. I also noticed you played Hardcore Stadium. That is right next to my apartment. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I thought that was very funny, and somehow I didn't know about it. So I was actually kind of pissed about it, too. But (laughs) in general, though, I noticed you play a lot of the East Coast, but it's right, you're not exactly in New Jersey as much. Do you find that coming, you know, more north, that more people know about you? Yeah, I mean, I like the one thing I sort of learned from um, just just for context, to anybody that's listening. Like, we just got off a tour that was about thirty-seven shows, give or take. Uh, we did a full U.S. tour with a band called Bent Knee, yeah, out of out of Boston. Um, and some of the members are from Rhode Island, but they're I think technically their home base is Boston for sure. Um, and and on that tour, I think the one thing that was sort of like a takeaway this time was just like genuinely being surprised that like people that knew about gatherers in the least expected markets. Um, so we, you know, we got to play a lot of new cities and, and, and revisit some old ones, but yeah. like I had mentioned, like this is our second full U S tour. And the last one we did was, uh, the common vision tour. And that was like a couple of years ago. So like, even though we like played Texas or played Cali, that, those were like to us, those are our first and only times like playing there. Right. So like when we got to revisit it for the second time, like, uh, there were way more people than I had ever anticipated like coming up to us and, and like California, like, Oh man, like I'm so fucking stoked you guys are here. Like I, or I saw you on that every time I die tour. So, Very cool. um, so yeah, to answer your question, like, I, I feel like definitely like there are markets and this is why I sort of feel the way I, I feel in that. Like, I feel like more markets, even East coast that are outside of New Jersey, like more people are into gatherers and there are, than they are in New Jersey, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know if I can chalk it up to any particular reason. I just think like we just have a tendency to play outside of the state way more than we have inside, you know. Ah, so. Okay. And that makes sense. Yeah. That definitely does. Now, I was going to bring up the tour with Bent Knee because I think what was especially interesting about that tour is Bent Knee isn't necessarily, you know, the style or genre that I would say gatherers are, even though you do mold multiple genres together to form what yeah. you do but bent knee especially i mean you've toured with friend of the show ghost key you've toured with conveyor you've like you mentioned you've toured before with every time i die you know a lot of different people but bent knee seems to be a very very you know like out there band to what you would normally tour with what was the tour like like how were people responding to you um i think it's a really good point and it, it, it's funny because like we when we went into this tour, um, I, I guess I should say that our, our guitar player, Anthony, uh, he co-manages uh, like a, a label slash management group called Party Smasher with right. Ben Weinman from Dillinger. Yep. Um, so he, well, they, uh, they manage Bent Knee. Uh, so in a way, it's sort of like, there were like a lot of mutual connections in that way. And that's sort of how it, it, it came together. But definitely before like going into it, it was definitely a topic that a lot of us, you know, having never met, met Bentney at a certain point, we were all kind of like very impressed by their band, like blown away by them. But, mm-hmm. you know, before we ever got to meet them, it definitely came up like, Hey, like, does this make sense for us? You know? And it, it turned out like this was definitely like, one of the most successful tours we've we've ever played. Uh, right. You know, just as successful as I'd say like touring it every time I die, which is obviously like a band that's way more closer to our wheelhouse or, or genre of music. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to look at it that way. 
Um, we've always sort of, you know, to your point, like I, I think the record we just put out this year, uh, which is called we are alive beyond repair. Yeah. I, I think it's way more of a, t- it, it, it's a, a definitely a tougher record to sort of pigeonhole into a genre. And I know right. a lot of bands, you know, write with the intention of like, fuck putting a label on it, which I, I totally applaud. And I, and I think is a good way of looking at your own music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that a lot of bands that, although they think that way, inevitably they end up creating albums that sort of just naturally gravitate into like being a more of a metalcore act or a post hardcore act or a hardcore act, or whatever. And not that any of those things matter, like disqualify like how good a record is, you know? Right. Um, but I definitely, feel very confident that the record that we're on is is one of those albums that tends to be more of like the black sheep of all of our peers sure in the sense that it is harder to sort of group it in with a lot of things you know right um so we were all very much raised on the early 2000s post-hardcore scene Mm -hmm. uh which obviously I can imagine sounds counterintuitive. I'm talking about not putting labels <laughs> on things, but we were right. raised on like, it's like glass straw, like, Oh yeah. For uh, sure. I was like death tones fucking yep. refused, like all those types of bands. And, and we were, you know, when we were growing up and, and very much infatuated with music, like this was an era where, you know, you had like a band like Thursday would be playing with a fucking band like most precious blood on the same bill. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. It was very much an era of, of embracing like a scene where there was a lot more crossover type of shows, mm-hmm. which it's sort of in a way, very aggravating to, to us and, and gatherers these days, because I feel like everything has become very homogenized to a degree. So if you a metalcore band, chances are the other four bands on that bill are metalcore bands. Right. You know, and and the same applies to everything. And uh, I do feel like, and I, I want to feel hopeful. I, I feel like I'm seeing way more like crossover bills sort of come up. I think so too. Uh, way more yeah. frequently, especially with bands like, like you know, you have bands like Turnstile now that are doing same thing. It, it's a brand of a lot of people want to call it like uh, Shore Style, which it's obvious like you can pull the Shore Style like influences out of a band like that. Mm-hmm. But those that band is are they're executing things within their sound that are so like unorthodox to like what you typically expect out of a band from that scene. So as a result, like they're doing crossover tours and they're playing with bands that at face value wouldn't make sense on a bill, but like in a way it does, you know? So, um, so I think with that knee, like they are obviously way more of like a progier band. They're phenomenal musicians. They're Mm -hmm. very, very intellectual what they do. Um, but I think Bentney, like they draw way more of like an older crowd or at least a crowd with a bit more of like a refined taste in things, mm-hmm. um, where they're like, they're not there to mosh, you know? And, and right. I think the thing with gatherers, like, like you said, like we've toured with Ghost Key, we've toured with Conveyor, we've toured with Capsize, and those are all like wonderful bands and, they, and, and, and touring with them, they were all like wonderful experiences. And, and luckily, like we got to walk away with like new friends out, out of those tours. Right. But I think like the one thing we've always sort of noticed after coming home from those tours was like, we had fun. It was a great time. I don't think our band resonated as successfully as a band your conveyor when we're all in the build together, because a lot of those kids will come and they are huge fans of those bands. But at the same time, like 
there's sort of this expectation to be able to sort of like mosh and stuff. Ah. And like, it's hard to mosh the gatherers. It's, if, if not, it's impossible, <laughs> you know? Um, right, right. And I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand where like we've played when we were out with Every Time I Die, we've played like some song where it's like, oh shit, I don't know this band, but it sounds like a breakdown's about to fucking happen and it never comes. No breakdown. It goes into some right. weird experimental <laughs> tangent. So I, you know, I, I think like we're going to start settling more comfortably as a band, you know, in context of doing like crossover type, type builds, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but they were wonderful people. It was an awesome tour. They are like geniuses at what they do. Like everyone in that band's got perfect pitch. They're all just like, phenomenal like musicians on paper like they can all play multiple instruments and like i remember the first night we played with them it crushed any bit of confidence i had in in our (laughs) gatherers like holy shit like we don't belong on this tour we're not good enough and it turned out like they were some of the most uh encouraging like positive people to be around that at the end of it like i genuinely like like consider them friends of ours. We were just at like uh, their guitar player, Ben and his, uh, and the bass player, Jessica, like they just got married and three of us got to, uh, you know, we're luckily enough to be attended to their wedding. And okay. like at their wedding, like Ben and he played a couple songs. So like just to build a bigger picture of like what kind of people they are, like yeah. they're just like beautiful human beings. And like, we, we were very lucky to be on the tour with them. So I'm so sorry. That was like a really long winded answer. No, that was great. No, that was absolutely great. But I do have a follow-up because it was something I was going to ask you about. So, you know, obviously, Bent Knee have been around for a while now. And with the type of people that you just described them as, did they have any, you know, like, maybe not advice, but did they have anything that they kind of left with you when the tour was done? Um, I think, like, you know, we're... There's so many aspects to Bentney and and on a on a group level as well as individually, uh, there's so many points of like so many like moments where I either had like admiration about something or or I got to take away like some type of lesson. You know, it could have been at some show along the way. Um, I think they are all very very articulate as a band, and they're all very aware of like what each of them bring to the table. Yeah. Um, the thing that like, I respect the most is like how calm and patient they are, uh, as a band on tour. Whereas I think all of us and gatherers can, can get stressed out pretty easily. Uh Um, but I think like the takeaway out of everything, we should like, just like thinking about our own music in a different light, you know, okay. Seeing like seeing Ben me play live, especially because, everywhere they play whether it's at the Sinclair which is in Boston which is like one of the best venues you played yeah put down to like a divey DIY spot they know how to fucking sound perfect in any room uh-huh. um and I think that's just being very much aware of obviously like your stage volume but being aware of how to dynamically like adapt to a room um and they're just like really smart they're smart with their songwriting you know and uh, in you know, I, I definitely would be lying if I said like all of us walked away without having like some huge epiphany about our own band after being on the road with them for that long. You know, right? Wow. No, that's that's really impressive. Okay, well, let's move on to where we actually met, 
we got to meet for the first time in person when you were up here in Boston. This was about maybe a week ago. You were playing the, it was the album release party or the album release show for Actor Observer, and you opened up for them. How did that all come together? Because I know you guys had, had you guys toured before? Yeah, we did a, like a two-week run with them last year, um, and it was with them and a band out of Canada called Sparrows. Oh, yeah. I know Sparrows. Yeah. Uh, so we did tour with them. We played a couple one-off shows. The Hardcore Stadium show you had mentioned before, I, uh, that was with Actor Observer. Right. Um, they uh, they are also managed by our guitar player, Anthony, under Party Smasher. Um, but we've known, we've known everyone in Actor Observer for like, I think two years now. Um, all great dudes. Yeah. Very hardworking. Very, very, very uh, enthusiastic about what they do. Um, my partner and I did a music video for uh, for one of the songs off that record ah. uh, a year ago, I think, at this point. Uh, okay. I think the song's called Northern Skin. Okay. And our friend, Matt Bastos, who DPs Gatherers music videos, he just did a video for them uh, for this album announcement. Uh, it's called On Your Laurels, I think. But oh, they have okay. a lot of mutual friends. But yeah, they're all, all cool people. Love all those dudes. Oh, okay. So that's how it all came together. So... How do you feel playing a show like that? And I mean, more what I'm going for on that, I think, is that, like you had just mentioned, you're on a tour or in a show with another band that would be considered, you know, post-hardcore, but Mm -hmm. the dynamics are so completely different between the two bands, especially for an album release party or show. What was that dynamic like? I think it was cool. I, uh, the show came together like really, really well. Uh, I believe Greg, uh, an actor observer, handled a lot of like the, like putting it together and promoting it, mm-hmm. and like definitely applaud him. Like he did a really awesome job. You know, he put flyers everywhere, and yeah. like uh, the turnout was great. And you know, it, uh, it's quite obvious like that band has a really, really strong support system uh, locally for sure. Um, and no, it was a cool dynamic. You know, I I, I think like we're one of those bands where we could sort of just weave in and out of scenes, you know, like I don't think it's going to backfire on us to play with heavier bands, uh, you know, just as much as it wouldn't backfire on us to do a tour with like Bent Knee, you know, I think at the end of the day, like it's just like gatherers is always going to be gatherers. And like, if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, it's totally fine. You know, Um, we're always going to play like a hundred percent. Like we're on fucking tour, you know. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, no, it was a cool dynamic. Uh, I think the other band that played, they were called Long Time. Yeah. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. Um, I think we played with them once before. Uh, those are they were really cool too. Um, really like technical band, like super impressive, and uh, yeah, no, it was cool dynamic, really positive. Yeah, I thought the show went really, really well, and obviously I was excited because I finally got to see you live. And one of the things I think you might remember hearing the episode where Dave and I did a review, you know, for the new album, We Are Alive Beyond Repair. When we talked about that, the question I always had was, okay, amazing, amazing album. I love these unclean vocals. I love the screaming, but can Rich pull it off live? And seeing you live, I can say for sure, for everyone who remembers that review, I can say absolutely, you definitely can and it may even sound better live than it does on the thank album. You. It was amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I was very <laughs> impressed. Thank you. That's a, it's definitely uh, an area of, of performance that I'm 
very self-conscious of because it's a new record. Um, there's a lot of like screaming that sort of bounces in and out of singing. So right. it, it, it's definitely a different type of like muscle memory you're, you're trying to develop. But um, that's another thing. I, I think getting to do it, you know, 37 days in succession on tour with <laughs> that knee, like right. a week into it, it's like, okay, cool. This is getting more comfortable. It's getting, we're getting tighter as a band, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, thank you so much. John. That's awesome. No, absolutely. Glad it <laughs> oh yeah, no, it definitely, definitely did. So let me ask yeah. you then, because this is a very focal point on the show a lot of times, since I really do love what you're doing, not only your unclean vocals, but also your clean vocals, where did your, or did you, have training to get to where you are now? No, I, I honestly, like, I'm like, well, I shouldn't say no. I mean, I think everyone that, that attempts to be like the vocalist in a band or, or that's like it's the, the instrument they sort of gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. I think everybody starts off sort of mimicking all their favorite bands, you know? So like when I was a kid, like I listened to so much, you know, the, the, the band that made me want to be in a band was, was Glashdaw. Like right. everything you ever wanted to know about silence, like that record. Yeah, at the time, all I knew was like Slipknot and Spineshank. And like, I was inundated <laughs> in like a new metal wave. And then when I heard that record, it clicked. It's like, Oh, okay. This is what music can be. Right. You know? Um, but I remember when I think the self-titled used record came out, that was the first time where I started just on like a boombox and like nobody was home. I probably pissed off a lot of my neighbors. I was like <laughs> screaming along to it. Yeah. Uh, which in hindsight, I, I can't even imagine what a 13 year old screaming to that record must have sounded like very like pre pubescent and everything. I'll ask my parents. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've gone to Melissa Cross a few times. Oh, okay. Uh, she's famous for doing the presenter screaming DVDs and all that, uh, which I highly recommend, you know, a a question that I get asked pretty frequently on tour is like, how do you do it? You know? And and look, like I don't, I'll be entirely honest. Like I don't think I'm that good of a vocalist. Like I I think these songs are, I still find them pretty difficult to pull live, you know? So like if to, I just have that symptom of like, not liking the sound of my own voice, but ah, gotcha. I guess if, if it, if it works, cool. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I've gone to Melissa Cross a few times and I think it's just sort of like, it took time to sort of be comfortable with my own voice mm-hmm. as opposed to like trying really hard to scream or sing like a certain way. Cause I feel like that's a very easy trap for a vocalist to fall into is to like have a, so much admiration for like other bands that, you your brain sort of tricks your body into moving your muscles a certain way to reproduce a voice that uh, isn't yours right you know so well, that's a good way to it put took it. a while to figure that out no and you know not even to go off on a tangent really but i totally understand that because that's a thing that i deal with as well you know going through and editing show after show and doing you know radio and then doing podcasting in order to edit you have to listen to your own stuff and it yeah. does get, it's tough. It really is. Like, sometimes I'll ask a band, you know, hey, what music are you currently listening to? And a lot of bands will say, well, we listen to our own stuff. And that, to me, I can't believe sometimes. Because I would never yeah, say, yeah, you know totally. what I mean? Like, I'll enjoy going back and listening to this when I'm going through everything because I get to hear you speak. But if it was just me the whole time, I'd be like, no, why would I ever listen to that? <laughs> So I totally get no, it. I, I, I totally understand. I, I, I'm, I totally agree with you too. Like, I don't, 
that's cool. Like if you can listen to your own music, and I listen to our record, you know, yeah. And I'll I'll dig back, you know. But I definitely feel like it's a different relationship with it. If 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 you've authored that album in any kind of capacity, you know, like of course when we were like mixing it, it that was the only thing I we were all listening to exactly. for the entire time. And of course when it came out and it was out there, it was cool to listen to it with. Uh, in a context of being way more excited, like, holy shit, like, people are receiving it well, and so it's cool, but I definitely can't, I have to, like, give myself a few months in between every time I listen to our own music, uh. you know, and when I do listen back on it, it's sort of now, now it's more with the intention of sort of analyzing and studying little things, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I don't know anything about sports, but I'd imagine it's the same reason why, like, people watch videos of their football games or oh, something, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. I mean, you talked about muscle memory too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's sort of like in a degree, it's like, cool. I love these elements about this album. Like these songs are, I, I, my, I, I like these songs more than these other songs. And, and don't get me wrong. Like this, we are life beyond repair. We're all very much proud of that record. Good. You know, we did a record called quiet world. Yeah. That was our first on equal vision, which, uh, I, I'm proud of everything like we've all made as a collective. Um, but I think like, as we've matured more as people and as musicians, like we were able to listen back on that and identify maybe what was premature about that record when we wrote it, you know, or how much it developed between that album to, to the current one that we're on now. So when I listen to our record now, we're all sort of like, we love it. Don't get me wrong, but like, we're all already sort of thinking like, cool, like we can't wait to write the next record, right. you know, like, you know, it's just sort of, and all of our favorite bands, sort of like the mantra in Gatherers is like, I, I hope that in the span of our career, however many albums that is, like a lot of our favorite bands are the bands where they have a discography that can be three records deep, it could be 10 records deep, but they're always making albums that all sort of stand on their own. They're, it's almost like each one's like a different color or different flavor. Yeah. So, you know, you have an inclination to visit one record because you're in a particular mood and you might be a huge fan of that band and there might be an album in that catalog that you're not a big fan of, uh, but somebody else adores, you right. know? Yeah. And I think as opposed to being a band that's always sort of beating the same formula to death, like, I, I think that's a way more ambitious, like, philosophy to try to maintain or, like, at least attempt at, at, at executing, you know, as a band. So, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry if I, I have this habit of like going on like tangents and shit. No, that's if I'm talking to you. I'm just like, shut up, dude. No, no, no. You're on the perfect show to do that. Cool. So yeah, never <laughs> apologize for that for sure. So let me go back to something you mentioned about quiet world, because obviously that's your first album with the band. And then also, yeah. that's when you had just signed with Equal Vision. So mm. was it something where when you were writing that, did you guys have a like a more nervousness, maybe like a, a more sense of being rushed than when you were doing We Are Alive Beyond Repair? Um, we definitely wrote We Are Alive Beyond Repair with way more of a comfortable pace. Uh, Equal Vision's been a great label to us. Like our relationship with Dan and everyone at that team is like awesome. Like they're all wonderful people. They've they've fostered many of the bands like we grew up inspired by, which is insane for us to even think about that we're on that label now oh, yeah. in our later twenties. Right. Um, but well, 
Quiet World wasn't the first Gatherer's record. There no. was a record before the original singer called Caught Between A Rock and a Sad Place. Right, yeah. Um, and when he had resigned from the band, uh, I joined, uh, and Matt and Matt and Adam and I were in uh, previous projects, like when we were much younger in like high school and stuff. So like to be in a room again in the context of being in a band, like it wasn't an unfamiliar experience, but okay. it was when I first joined Gatherer's, it was way more nerve wracking to me because at that point when I joined, I, I hadn't been in a band for in like years. So like there was a lot of like learning how to scream again and learning uh. how to be a, a somewhat of a good vocalist. So like <laughs> can't say I was like really like now I, I was like watching all the videos of us playing like one of our first or second shows together when I joined them. Like, oh, wow. Watching my own performance. <laughs> yikes. Like that, that's not that good you know, compared <laughs> to now. Um, right. But when we wrote Quiet World, uh, I joined, we wrote Quiet World. We didn't know we were signing to Equal Vision just yet. We we sent them two demos early on. Uh, I don't remember what songs they were. So like I, I would say Quiet World was probably around like eighty percent to completion when we got a reply that we were going to sign to Equal Vision. Ah. Um. So it wasn't that we were rushed. I just think that we were uh, younger at the time, mm-hmm. excited but obviously nervous. Not knowing what was to come after that so uh as a result we 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 tracked it with adam in his home studio his his previous home studio and uh brad wood mixed it and uh joey laporta mastered it so you know i think it came together as good as it could have came together but i think because we uh again nobody at evr pressured us but we were excited and very eager to like turn this thing in already yeah i think we maybe overlooked a lot of like you know, the songs that were on Quiet World were the only songs that were written for Quiet World. You know, sometimes bands will write 15 songs and then pre-pro it down to like the strongest 11 or 12. Yeah. We didn't afford ourselves that luxury at the time. Um, and we didn't really think too much maybe about like the extra amount of production and value that could have went into like layers and harmonies and you know, nuances. It wasn't as nuanced as an album as this record is. Um, so I think it was just an, uh, an oversight, uh, again, as a result of just being excited and not knowing any better. But, you know, like I said, like every album, obviously it's a different color, but it's also like a learning experience. You know, there's a lot about this record that we're proud of um, that I don't, uh, you know, for the first time, and I think in our career, I think we can listen to this record and think like, all right, like we're very confident from every song from start to finish. It's very much a cohesive album. But at the same time, it's like now we're eager to grow and outdo this record. Ah, you know, so for sure. So he's trying to one up the last thing. So, so yeah. you would say at least you learned a lot from Quiet World, and then would you say the thing that changed the most for you on the new album? Is it more like the time that you spent, the time you composed it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. I mean, having the amount of time we did to write it, because like we had a lot of uh, members come in and out of this band, like right. in between Quiet World and, and, and Repair, uh, and a lot of all good friends of ours. We, we had a lot of people come in just to fill in for tours. We had friends that came in for to try to like audition in terms of like a, a writing aspect. So there was a lot we were trying to figure out at the time. Rob and Anthony were not in the band. So like later on, uh, towards the tail end of finishing writing on, on this current record. Ah, okay. Um, so I think because of all the things that were all the circumstances at the time, like 
we were able to sort of approach it way more delicately, way more tactfully. Um, I think the biggest thing to note between Quiet World and this record is like Quiet World, in our opinion, there's definitely some strong songs on there, but for sure, I think that record at the time, it sounds like a band that's still trying to figure its shit out. You know, oh, there's, okay. it still sounds like a band that has a lot of cool ideas, but oftentimes maybe they didn't understand how to write like an, a cohesive album experience as okay. cliche as that might sound. <laughs> um, whereas I think with this record, all the songs are on the same tree, you know, all the branches are on the same tree. It sounds like, uh, I don't know how long the record is. It sounds like 35 minutes of like, uh, a, a very concentrated experience and everything. There's not a song on there. In my opinion, it sounds like this doesn't quite make sense. Let me no. skip it to the next one. You know? So I think that was the biggest takeaway is learning how to write more of an album mm-hmm. and less songs that are just comprised of parts, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. definitely a major flow to the album. So yeah, I can't imagine yeah. when I'm listening through, first of all, it's one of those albums that definitely you listen front to back. I don't find myself skipping around going like, Oh, I need to listen to this, this and this. I can listen to it front to back and just let it repeat. And I think nowadays that's something a little bit more rare. So I wonder, is that something that you were going for? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, like all, all our favorite bands, you know, that all the bands that we worship, like they, all tend to put out albums like that, you know? So, um, I think it's important nowadays, especially like with how many records are coming out or more like singles are coming out these days and like full bodies of work. I feel like, um, yeah, I, I just think it's important to try to put out a piece of artwork that's like as complete as possible. And, you know, from the artwork to the music videos, to the way it's campaigned, to the packaging, to obviously the music, like, I think, like, realizing an idea uh, in, like, every possible length is, like, super important to having, like, an album experience, you know, so we were way more meticulous about this record, you know, from the artwork to the lyrics to all that stuff, so. Absolutely. So, when writing this, then, with members going in and out, what was your writing process like for yourself, you know, for writing lyrics, for how you molded things to, you know, the music itself? How did you write this? It was definitely different for us because, um, you know, again, not not to circle back, but when when we did Quiet World, uh, in hindsight, I feel like the thing we learned from that is like, when I came into, when I came into Gather, there was a lot of, some of the songs were already written. So there was a lot of songs on Quiet World where, it's very obvious that like the instrumentation was already put together and it was sort of for the most part set in stone mm-hmm. and that vocals were written on top of it. Ah. Whereas with We Are Life Beyond Repair, because we didn't really have a solid guitar section lined up, uh, a lot of these songs were written first with bass drums and vocals. Ah, okay. So that when the guitar work came in after the fact, it was a lot of sort of like filling in textures and, you know, and I, 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 I don't mean this, like, I, you know, I, I understand that, like, the vocalist of the band, so I, I hope it doesn't come off wrong, and I think it's just the philosophy, like, most bands should subscribe to, is that, like, at the end of the day, like, if you listen to any album with a normal set of ears, and when I say normal, I mean, like, you're not really, like, being over-analytical of the record. Right. You're just listening. Um, you're, yeah. 
you, you tend to pay attention at face value to like the vocal melodies and like the top melody, you know, mm-hmm. and like the hooks and the chorus and stuff like that. So I think like because we were able to sort of build the songs around just bass drums and like vocals, and it was enough for me to be able to like go home, write vocal ideas, go back to Adam's studio, like demo top melodies that, okay, cool. That's a really cool melody. Oh, that's a hook. Let's restructure the song around that. That uh-huh. like, it wasn't to a point where the song instrumentally was 90% complete. And then the last, and then, and, and then the last 10% was vocals, you know, right. it, it, you're not like sort of wedging it on top of everything. So huh. I think because of that, like everything sort of came together like way more naturally and way more cohesively. Ah, okay. Yeah. That is uh-huh. a lot different than when I talked to bands. I mean, I'm sure a lot do similar things, but that is a lot different from what I'm used to hearing. So that's very interesting. So when you're going through that, you're working on melodies. One of the things that I liked a lot about this album was also when you would do the unclean vocals over the clean vocals that were saying the exact same thing. And I was just wondering, you don't often hear a lot of bands do that anymore. And that is, you know, a kind of a, old school post hardcore type method and i was just wondering you know how you chose which tracks that would work well on yeah um i think uh i think the song you're referring to is like still i think that's one of the songs where that yeah i think kind of layering is the most present um although it's probably pops up here and there on like the rest of the record it does yeah um i don't know i i mean it's not like a contrived thing you know it's not so much where it's like hey let's let's make a, let's attempt it just for the sake of attempting it. I think like if I hear a melody in my head, I kind of already hear it that way for the most part. Like when we were writing spill, I I already knew from the get go, like I wanted to do that type of layering. Um, I definitely agree with you. Like it's not something that comes up too often. Um, we've all recently been pretty, pretty floored. Like we're all in awe of the, like the new Foxing album that just came out. And like, there's a lot of what you're saying on that record too. Um, and I, I think it's cool. I, I think it's, I think layering like a screamier layer underneath like a senior layer, it, it allows the song to still be the right amount of like abrasiveness, but like mm-hmm. still maintain its melodic quality. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of like metalcore, like hard, like straight hardcore fucking bands, like are all sick and heavy, but it's obviously there's no melodic content to it so it's not something where you can like sing along it's more of like a chant along or more of like a you know i don't know what i'm saying (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) no i totally get what you mean for sure so when you're going around and you're you know working on melody you're also obviously you're writing lyrics too now are you in charge of all the lyrics or was that a collaborative process Uh, i read all the lyrics okay Is there a specific yeah, I, way? I, I mean, I definitely like. Uh, I, I write all the lyrics, but I, it's nothing. Nothing gets like. Nothing goes under the radar. Like I, I'm very open and transparent with my bandmates about yeah. like, hey, what do you think of these lyrics? And they're very transparent with me as well. So like, Good. nothing on the album is like on there because I wanted to like. Obviously, like, hey, does this line sound corny to you? And if it <laughs> is, it goes. You know, it, it's always a unanimous like decision in that regard. But yeah, I, I write all the lyrics. Okay. Yeah, and I yeah. I get the feeling just from talking to you and from, you know, looking around and doing research and everything that you probably don't necessarily write 
the exact same way as a lot of other bands. And I think we can tell by, you know, reading lyrics, by hearing what you're singing, what's your normal way that you write out lyrics for a track? Um, I think like I'm more of a, I like to figure out melody first before lyrics, you know, sometimes like if I get a cool idea for a lyric, I'll write it in my phone. Like I can probably scroll through my old phone around the time we're writing this record and Mm -hmm. see like a ton of little entries of like, Sometimes it's just like a word, like I'm like, oh, that's a cool word. Like, let me just write it down ah. and revisit it a few months from now. So there's a lot of that. Okay. Um, but there's way more voice memos in my phone of like fucking like babble. Like it's not <laughs> even English or any language at all. It's just like silly scat babble of like melodies I have in my head, whether it be the like songs or demoing mm-hmm. or just something I just hear out of nowhere and hopefully can work it around a song yeah um so lyrics tend to come after um but you know as, as far as like the lyrical content goes uh this record was way more of like a third perspective right abstract stream of consciousness type of writing i guess you okay. know um i'm not too good at being like confessional or like autobiographical on lyrics you know so a lot of bands are and that's great i i'd never like I don't feel like I, I've ever executed that well, even if I tried. Oh, okay. Um, and a lot of my favorite albums, you know, are the type of lyrics where it's not easy to figure out like what's going on or maybe like, like my, one of my favorite bands is Interpol. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've said this on like every interview. Um, <laughs> so I, I apologize. That's but, like, one right. of my favorite bands is Interpol and like Paul Banks is like one of my favorite lyricists of, of fucking all time. And like, what I've always admired about his writing is that like you read it on paper and you can read it and sort of visualize some type of scenario or some scene playing out in your head. Mm -hmm. And although like the lyrics read beautifully on paper, if you were to strip them down of all of that and you were to strip them down of the music, like they don't really quite make sense. Sometimes they're incomplete thoughts, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I've always admired like having the ability to write like that and still create some kind of visual in the context of like the music, you know. So um, it's definitely something I've, I try to exercise more on this album and something I hope to get better at too, you know. So it's like trying to convey like an experience or emotion or a feeling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So it's different. Like when you say Interpol, I know their lyric writing is a lot different. When I hear someone talk like that, where maybe the lyrics don't necessarily make sense, but maybe there's more of a general tone that the band is going for, I often think, and I think this is, it's not fair to compare Interpol and this band, but when I hear that, I think of like Dance Gavin Dance, because their lyrics don't really, you know, when you read them, you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? They can't possibly be talking about anything real here, but the feeling or emotion that they're conveying mm-hmm. is there. I, I totally agree. I, I, I guess let me. I guess let me go back and redact. Like I, it's not that like they, the lyrics don't make sense. It's just more. So I'm sure if you sat Paul Banks down, or if you sat any member of Dance Gavin Dance Dance Gavin Dance down, <laughs> um, that I, I would assume at some point they would be able to boil down like what they were thinking when they were sure. writing it. You know? Right. Right. Um, although I will say that. 
I think Dan Scavin, I, I, Dan Scavin is a really cool band, I'm not throwing shit at them. I just think <laughs> that like their lyrical quality tends to be a little more animated. Yes. Uh, not to, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but maybe a little more like cartoonish in a oh, way. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and I think that the listening experience of Dan Scavin dance is, is, is intentionally made to be more of like a fun, lighthearted one. Yeah, like Although, a fantasy. obviously they're a, a heavier band with like abrasive parts. I think it's more of like a feel-good, like very party-ish, energetic type of listening experience. And I think like at a certain point in their career, they understood that about their own band. Right. So like album to album, it sort of became way more abstract in that regard, you know? Very true. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. absolutely. And that's why I knew that my comparison definitely wasn't you know, apples to apples for sure. It's just that's kind of what I think about. But to go back to what you were saying before, I have definitely spoken to bands before that record gibberish melodies that they can come back to at another point. So that's very cool to know that you do the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and when we were on tour with Bettany, I asked Courtney, I said, hey, is this like a weird thing that do you do the same thing? Because her, her melodies are fucking, they're genius. They're, they're really awesome. So I was curious to ask her and she said, I have so many of them. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of locals do. And they, it's something they tend to get shy about. Ah, uh, um, sure. So like, it's, it's like, I have this like secret folder in my phone that like I guard, like <laughs> none of my bandmates will ever hear it. Right. It's probably really fucking embarrassing, but yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's funny. Yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, yeah. So when I hear to your point, like if I hear other bands do that, I kind of like, a little bit of like a relief, like, you know, not as self-conscious anymore. Like, all right, I'm not weird for doing this, but you know, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I think everyone has their own thing, you know, conversely, like you can take a band like La Dispute or Touche Amore and it's like their lyrics are way more direct, right. but I think they're, they're fucking like over the top lyrics. Like, and those two guys are like one of the, the two of the best lyricists, like I think in that scene of music, but sure. obviously it's a different context. If you listen to a band like La Dispute, you're sort of anticipating like the narrative that's going on, you know? Ah, sure. Um, no, that's very true. Not so much about getting lost in the mood. It's more, at least for me personally, if I ever listen to their albums, I'm, I'm more of lost in like, what's this little motif or a short story about, you know? Um, right. And I was actually just talking to to my partner about it just before you called me about like she's like a huge Bright Eyes fan and oh, sure. I don't know too much about them so like anytime I I get to listen to them it's it's usually in the car with her and I've I've come to like appreciate them more and more it's definitely a band like I never really knew much about but I was explaining to her like when I when I listen to them now I find myself like sort of cool like instrumentation's awesome like these songs are great. But my ears are way more tuned in paying attention to like what's the punchline going to be of this like clever little verse here, you know? Ah, like, what's sure. the next one going to be? You know? So, so I think like everyone's got a different style, and, and every style obviously like, respectively suits a band in a particular way, you know, and definitely adds to the listening experience. For sure, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's why it's great to be able to hear so many different bands. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I do this show in general is to hear about that stuff. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah, obviously, if you like a band, you're picking out specific parts that, you know, you connect with. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. For so, sure. Unless, like, if you're, you know, I, I would say adds to the listening experience, but sometimes takes away. So, like, if you have a lyric like, suck my fuck, and you're in a band <laughs> like Attila, I think it's that flips that whole argument on its head. True, um, true. But I that came out of nowhere. 
<laughs> yeah, because we're uh, we're we're trying to pay our rent playing post hardcore music, and he right. was a mansion with you know that kind of music. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I gotta ask because this was initially something that I wanted to check with because obviously I knew that you weren't in you know gatherers at the time when they were gatherer, and you would mention you know the first full length cop between a rock and a sad place there's a track when when you say suck my fuck which is obviously what franz has you know said multiple times that's partially a line in donnie darko and there's a track on that album that i was wondering i don't know if you even know i don't know if you you know ever go back and talk to the guys about that or not Mm -hmm. but there's the final track on the album and i think it's they went down there to die, or he went down there to he die. He went down there to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, that from Donnie Darko? Christian, um, yeah, uh, sorry, uh, well, sorry to interrupt you. Was was the question like is that in, uh, tied into Donnie Darko? Yeah, was that a reference? Um, I'm not too sure. I'll ask Adam. I, 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 I'm not really quite too sure. I, I, I think like um, just sort of like what we're talking about. Like I, I think Christian's take on gatherers was like way more autobiographical. Like I had mentioned, you know. Mm-hmm. I think for that album, it definitely made sense you know right. and i think he did a great job but uh uh i don't know i don't know if anybody really knew you know i i feel like if if his relationship with everyone in gatherers at the time was anything like my relationship with them now I, I think like like everyone is really respectful like just let him be let him write what he wants to write ah, you know unless it's okay. like something corny so um yeah i can find out i'm not too sure though to be honest no look it would make sense my my mind goes to donnie darko all the time so if I see yeah, any yeah. possible reference, that's what I look for. All right. So once again, tangents. See, that's what we do on the show. So <laughs> totally understandable. Uh, good, good fucking film. Haven't seen it forever. I mean, everyone in this band is is like they're we're all like film nerds. So like, oh, okay. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I mean, we can actually talk about this a little bit. Are you more of an indie film guy, or are you you know big blockbusters? I, I can't stand big summer blockbusters. Um, awesome. I re, you know, my my guilty pleasure has been like the Deadpool franchise. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But even like the Marvel franchise, I, I can't, you know. And, and this is coming from somebody that grew up on X-Men comics and was like obsessed with Marvel. Oh, okay. I just think it like, you know, it's it hooked. Like it, it turned into like a thing that's like way bigger than like I have the capacity for. Um, gotcha. So when I watch films, at least I try to watch more like, I don't know, it's very, it's, it's, it's easy to sound pretentious and be like, I only watch like indie films, you know, I, I think just good films in general, like yeah. uh, obviously like A24, we're all huge fans of A24, uh, we all saw uh, Mother yeah. when it came out in theaters, uh, that was like a whole band excursion, oh, okay. uh, on tour we saw Hereditary, which was great. Yep. Let me, um, so by the way, before yeah. you go on. I have to ask this because I get in fights with people on this all the time. So, <laughs> did you like Spring Breakers? Uh, it was okay. I like Harmony Corinne. I mean, obviously, like Kids is fucking timeless. Like, oh, that's right. that's a heavy film, you know. And 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 when you sit and appreciate how old he was or how young he was when he wrote that film, right. like it, it gets even heavier. Uh, it was decent, you know. Okay, so there are people that really see. I think that. That kind of, uh, I guess it teeters on so bad that it's good. And that's the way that I looked at it. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece of a film, but there's so many 
funny parts that probably weren't meant to be funny that I enjoy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I totally agree with you. I think Harmony Crin's out of his fucking mind. Yes. Um, I agree. And, uh, like, obviously, like, uh, Gummo. Yeah. Like, if, if there's any proof that he is, it's, it's that film. For sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you mean. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't really enjoy that film. I'm, I have a huge distaste for, like, the party scene. Like, yes. that kind of shit. I um, totally agree with that. Yeah, and I'm not like straight edge or anything, but like, I, like that whole corner of like society of like fucking clubbing and EDM and taking ecstasy. I'm not judging. Like, doesn't make you a good, bad person. You know, it's just not for me. I'm judging. So like, I hate that. <laughs> I, I, I'd imagine because that film took place in like Miami or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've never been, but I, I'd imagine that's kind of what that seems like. And like anywhere where there's a scene like that, I don't ever really feel in my comfort zone. So Makes sense. I was watching it. I was like, ooh, I, I was ready. I, I felt like I was vicariously there. So <laughs> kind of made me uneasy. Um, well, I guess, hey, that's yeah. good filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, sorry. So that was a, another tangent. Go on. Like, have you seen anything especially good this year? Uh, Mother's my favorite film okay. of... 2018, I think. Darren Aronofsky, right? Up. Yeah, that's my that's my favorite film. I love Darren Aronofsky. Um, I think everything he's done has been brilliant. Um, who doesn't like that guy? Yeah. Um, although uh, I haven't seen Black Swan, everyone's gonna say, "What the fuck? What do yeah, you mean?" Yeah, I have to say, Black "What Swan the fuck?" Yet. Wow. Okay. I mean, look, um, Requiem's still a top ten movie for me. So yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I love Requiem for a Dream. I don't know if you get. Oh, yeah, yeah. Reckon, so yeah. I, I don't Reckon. know if you get any yeah. better than that. But I would definitely. I mean, if you have the time, I would. I would definitely watch Black Swan because that is really good. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely on my list. Um, yeah, like I said, like we don't own a television in our apartment, so like, right. When when we have time to like sit and watch a movie, it's like always like huddled around a laptop. So like, <laughs> it's got to be like a film that we both like have, have like an immediate like jonesing for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely on the list. Uh, I don't know. I, I was like recently. Um, just saw eighth grade. That was really cool. Yeah, I've heard really good things. I'm waiting. I mean, I'm assuming that's going to be on VOD very soon. As soon as it is, that's when I'm going to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend it. It was definitely relatable and definitely a window into like you know being young now. You know, right? Um, especially at the like personally, I, I think we're all at an age where we're sort of like I'm personally too starting to feel like a disconnect of like what's relevant anymore. Yeah. Um, I can agree with that. Uh, I think it was, it was a good window into that. Well, also, you know, there's always a universal thing that, like, a lot of kids go through at that age that regardless of what generation you come from, you, you find some way to relate to it. So Very true. Uh, I thought it was, I thought Bo Burnham did a really good job at, like, getting that across the, the, the table. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Lobster, oh. um, Yorgos Lothamos. I'm, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of his name, but he's the guy that directed that, those two oh, films. Okay. Um, love those fucking movies. Uh, haven't seen Dog Tooth yet. Uh, yeah, I, I can go on and on, man. We all we all like like Lars von Trier. He's oh, a big sure. inspiration to our band. Very cool. Well, uh, let me not the things he says. He's a little wacky. In, right. in ter- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me ask you because we've been talking for a while now. Let me ask you about where you guys are as a band right now because you've been doing a ton of touring and then now it seems like you know you're back in New Jersey. You said you had at least you were chomping at the bit to start writing. Have you guys started that process already? Uh not quite yet. Okay. Uh I think we're sort of at this point where we're all sort of like 
just talking about like, hey, you know, very loosely. I I, I can't even fairly say like we've entered that that headspace yet, but okay. you know, I I know we're all excited. Uh, Matt, our bass player, actually just recently left Gatherers after tour. Ah, I see. Um, so we're in this position uh, where we're in, we're in the middle of like auditioning other people and just filling people out. Um, you're sort of making sure we're making like the right move for the band. Right. Um, but I don't think any of that is going to uh, slow down like our, our, our process uh, or the cycle whatsoever. You know, we're all very eager to write and, you know, luckily I'm, I'm, I'm in a band of like really like creative people and very open-minded yeah. people. And like, they all have great ideas and Rob and Anthony who joined our band towards the tail end of writing uh, our current record. Um, they all, they both respectively bring something new into the equation. Like Rob is Rob and I have a lot of like favorite, like indie bands. Like he's a dude that like fucks with a lot of indie bands. And mm-hmm. then Anthony is a dude from like Long Island that grew up with like, early 2000s post-hardcore Long Island fucking bands. You yeah. know what I mean? Two radically opposite types of, uh, <laughs> of mindsets when it comes yeah, to yeah. writing music. So I, I think like they both have a really very interesting dynamic with each other in, in terms of like guitar work. Um, and I think, I think I'm most excited about is to write a record from the ground up with, with, with them. Ah. Um, so, which we weren't really able to do on, on this record because they joined later. You know, right. there's, there's a couple of songs on the record that like we wrote one song entirely with Rob and one song entirely with Anthony. And that's for the other uh, nine songs or whatever, like they filled in and sort of wrote their parts along with sort of what was demoed out and sort of reevaluated old parts, uh, things like that. Okay. So I, I think this would be like our first real record with, with like the new lineup from the ground up that is, um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. We're all excited. I kind of already have some like ideas in mind, like as far as like, you know, uh, visuals and shit like that. When when we wrote, we were alive down repair. We already had the artwork picked out before we wrote the album. Wow. So okay. I think, uh, or at least we, we had the album, the artwork picked out maybe like one or two songs in. So you know, um, but it was very much before it was a fully realized like idea. Yeah. Um, and I think that was pretty cool because you know. We're, we're a very visual band like we're just, like we're all like film nerds and shit so all those things like trickle down to our our art i guess but like right when we had the artwork for this record uh before all the songs were completed i think we kind of understand we had we also had the album title picked out too before we wrote the record so we oh. kind of already understood like very loosely like the universe that all these songs had they sort of exist within mm-hmm. um so you know i already started I already have like some loose ideas. I've been meaning to pitch to my bandmates. Same thing. It's like, hey, I have this like artwork in mind or a, a title in mind. Here is a concept, and yeah, um, I know we're all very much excited. So very I'm really cool. excited to see what comes out. So, so now yeah. coming up, I mean, first of all, that's very exciting to hear about all of that. And then the second part is, are you looking right now to jump on another tour? Because what I think would be really interesting, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but would you actually go out and do We Are Alive Beyond Repair front to back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. You know, I don't know. I, I think these days, like a lot of bands are cashing in, like, let's do let's do the 10 year anniversary fucking performance of it. So, For sure. you know, I, I, I hope that we don't have to wait that long <laughs> to play the record in its entirety. Right. But, uh, we, you know. We're still very early on in the cycle. Um, yeah, we, we're definitely going to be touring way more. Um, uh, we're doing Europe inevitably uh, next cool. year. Awesome. Um, I think we're we, we have an offer on the table. I can't really talk about it, but it's, yeah, 
uh, definitely a band. Uh, if if all goes as planned, it's a band we're excited about going to Europe with. Great. Um, and we it, it would it'll be our first time over there, which is cool. Um, and I think you know right now we're sort of in this mindset of taking not necessarily like touring a lot, but touring but taking the right tours, the tours that make sense, you yeah. know, sort of like going back to what you're saying about like touring with like bent knee, you know, and just being very uh, strategic with like who we go on the road with. And, you know, cause I, I felt like in a way it benefited our band, you know, it, it's always going to benefit our band to play shows. Don't get me wrong. Every tour we've been on has always been an awesome experience, but yeah. in a way, like I kind of learned like, Hey, like doing this weird crossover tour with a band like bent knee, I felt like benefited the growth of our band way more than it would have to do a full U.S. tour with two bands that maybe sound almost exactly like us right. or, or too close to home, you know? Sure. No, that makes um, total sense. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. And it's weird. You know, I, I should apologize, I think, because I talk about this album like it's been out for a really long time. It came out in June. So you guys yeah. have really, it's been two months of touring and you know getting it out there and promoting it so you still have plenty more to do with that as well i mean i know people's attention spans are so quick now that it's like hey well what else do you have but you're still kind of in that cycle like you mentioned that early cycle of getting it out to everybody so yeah you have plenty of touring to do you've got overseas now so that's very cool thank you yeah no 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 you don't have to apologize man it's it's fucking it's been cool um I think, you know, I think it's easy for us to all forget like how early on in the record cycle we are because we're right. all sort of like having this itch of well, what do we do now? We, we, <laughs> you know, we don't have any immediate tours lined up. Like we're still trying to figure out like a booking agent, like all these things, right. um, you know, and, you know, we we wrote the record. I'm sorry. We recorded the album of April in April of last year. Ah. So to us, it's sort of like, you know, it's brand new to everybody else, but it's a couple of years old to us. Right. Um, and not that it means like we think any less of the album. We're very proud of it. You know, of course, um, you should be. Yeah. So, you know, we were originally the plan was to put it out, I think, last June. Um, but the turnaround time with like mixing didn't pan out as, as we had planned. So, like, uh, the next best move was to, to wait until, you know, now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're excited. It's still early on. You know, we put out two music videos for it. We're planning yeah. our third music video now. Oh, great. Um, and yeah. Very cool. Well, look, I would ask you what it was, but I'm assuming that you can't talk about that yet. Uh, yeah, I, I nothing set in stone yet. I, okay. I think we're all pretty much on board with like what song we wanted to be for. Okay. Um, now that we have picked that picked out, like, I think we're, you know, I, I directed our video for Infinity and Gloom, and then mm -hmm. I co-directed our video for Floorboard. So right. uh, I think naturally I'm going to end up working on this one as well. Uh, okay. You know, obviously alongside my bandmates and the people, my friends that I always work with on videos. So like, uh, we haven't really like dived into any type of treatment yet for it, but I think we're all on board with like what song we want to put out. So very cool. Well, that's something yeah. definitely to look forward to. Cool. All right, Rich. Well. I think that is a good place to stop tonight because that way we're talking a little bit about the future. So I'm going to have links in the description of the episode so that everyone can find and follow everything that you and gatherers are doing. But until then, is there a best way for people to support you? Um, 
we're thankful for all the support we've gotten so far. Um, if you're new to our band, like, thank you so much. Like, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can, I mean, we handle all our socials. So gatherers band on Instagram, you know, the same way every other fucking band does it. So, <laughs> uh, Spotify, iTunes, the record's out. It's called We Are Alive Beyond Repair. Yep. Uh, it's out on Equal Vision. Um, buying it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, more, more than buying it, telling people about our band goes even a longer way. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, might I say cool. as well that when I saw you live, you had the really nice vinyl copies of We Are Alive Beyond Repair. So I'm going to recommend that to everybody because that was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's our uh, tour variant. And there's like a couple other versions, I think, online. Um, I think it's uh, gatherers.merchnow.com yep. is where you can find like the other two variants and physical formats and stuff like that. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'll have all those links. So Rich, once again, I've been waiting to do this for a while. You know I'm a huge fan of not only the band, but obviously we are alive beyond repair. So I hope everyone takes the opportunity to give it a listen and to see you guys on tour. So, Rich, once again, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much, Ben. You have an awesome podcast, and you know we're fans of what you're doing, too. So thank you for taking the time to talk about our band and having us on. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. Yeah.
and I am back. That last track was Every Pain in Monochrome. Once again, off We Are Alive Beyond Repair. Wow, that was a great talk, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure you pick up the brand new album, We Are Alive Beyond Repair, and support the guys by following the links in the description of the episode. And don't forget to try and see Gatherers Live. You won't be disappointed. And if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, you can follow the other links in the description of the episode to support me, Ian Hates. A big thank you once again to Rich for coming on the show. Can't wait to have him back in the future. We're going to end tonight with the track Infinity and Gloom off We Are Alive Beyond Repair. And I will leave you the way I always do. Long days and pleasant nights. Thanks, everyone.